Well, this past week, I was uh, sharing with a neighbor <clears throat> about the full-blown war that's going on in the Ukraine. And we were talking about just what we see happening in the news and what we see coming across social media. And she asked me a question. She said, well, Doug, do you, um, do you use stories like this as the genesis or the, the main point of your sermons? Do you talk about things like world events? And I said, well, not so much as the focus of my message. I said, typically for me, uh, we might pray about what's going on in the Ukraine, and we might, I might talk about it as, as an illustration, but it doesn't become the thrust of my message. The Bible is, is the focus of my message always, and if the world can be brought into the message that I'm preaching, then yes, I'll bring it in, but it doesn't become the, the main focus. And so this led me to explain, for example, what we're doing now as a church, talking about the book of Esther and, uh, and talking about this series that we're doing. And my neighbor who's walking with me, she's Jewish by background. And so it was uh, good for us because this was a connecting point, a place where we could talk and we could share. And so as we got to talking about Esther and I was explaining to her what I've been learning about Esther and Mordecai and about them hiding their, their faith in the face of the Persians, I was talking about that with her. Uh, we talked about the Jews and we talked about them being displaced at this time frame. Right, about the horror of what Esther and Mordecai and her people experienced during the war, the war with the Babylonians and then the war then with the Persians and how they had been displaced, as I said, and what it was for them to experience the war. And of course, us talking about Esther and, and what she experienced led us to talk about what we're talking about here today, talking about the war and the news and what we're seeing on the news and how the war separates families Right? If we've seen that these last few weeks, how they're, they're literally families are being ripped apart and how people are being caused to lose their home. Millions of people are, are traveling as refugees in, into a new land, into a new place, seeking to call it home. We talked about how much we couldn't even understand what it would be like to be a parent as we're walking with our kids being ripped away from our children and what that would do to us and what it would do to our kids, like what we see happening on the news around us these parents that are hoping to be reunited with their children. And then we thought about Esther. We talked about Esther and, and how she experienced war and how she experienced being relocated a thousand miles away from her home. And in, as I said, in, in the story that we're reading, uh, we've started last week, we'll continue on today. It's decades after her, her family line has been removed from Jerusalem. She is thousands of miles away from Jerusalem, living in Persia. What is Esther to do? What is Esther to do? When we left her last week, her uncle Mordecai was telling her to keep her head down and stay quiet. He was saying, just keep quiet. Don't talk, don't, don't ruffle any feathers, don't, don't talk about your Jewish heritage, just try to be Persian. But as a Jew, she's one of God's chosen people. She was anointed by God, blessed by God, given a commandment uh, by God. The Jews were tasked, they were literally tasked with being God's representatives to the world. The Jews were, were, were asked by God to represent who God is to the people on the earth. How could she share God with people if she remained silent? That was the question we were battling with last week as we were wrapping up the message. And today we're picking up the story of Esther and Mordecai, and we're seeing how a moment of decision on Esther's part, just a momentary decision, can make a lifetime of difference. A moment of decision makes a lifetime of difference. The story of Esther is a story of faith, and it's about hope, and it's about trust. 
to trust God in the face of adversity, and it's never easy. Right? For us to face, to trust God in the face of adversity is never easy for us. In fact, it could be one of the hardest things that you do. It could be one of the hardest things that you ever have to do. But, but God will give you courage if you stand up for what is right. That's what we're seeing in this story of Esther. I'm not sure who needs to hear this message today. As I was writing about this message, I was praying about this. I don't know who needs to hear this message today because all of us are weary. All of us are tired. All of us are worn out and we get worried about things. The world makes us tired and it brings us to this point of breaking a lot of times. We feel like we're going to break and the easy thing for us to do is actually to just go along. To go along. To go along and to hide in Persia as we've been talking about it. But the easiest thing to do isn't necessarily the right thing for us to do. Max Lucado says it this way in this book that we're reading uh, together. Living as a person of faith in a faithless world requires courage and acts of resistance. Chances are high in the coming days that you will be tempted to compromise your beliefs or to remain silent in the face of injustice or evil. How can you stand when such temptations come? Temptations are going to come. They're going to come into your life. The question is, is when you're tempted to compromise your beliefs, how can you stand in the face of such injustice or evil? In the story of Esther that we're reading, we're going to meet a new character today. And his name is Haman. And Haman hated the Jews. He hated the Jews. Haman was the king's right-hand guy. Haman was the one who would make things happen on behalf of King Xerxes. When Haman entered a room, everybody would bow down because it was almost as if the king was walking into the room. You would show Haman the respect that he deserved. But a funny thing happened to Mordecai. A funny thing happened to Mordecai. In this story of Esther, Mordecai refused to bow down to Haman. Call it conviction. Call it God getting a hold of his heart. Call it some kind of a resurgence of faith. But Mordecai realized that he was not to worship Haman. He was not to worship anyone but the Lord God. And so he would not bow down to Haman when Haman walked into the room or when he walked by. And so this man who just pages before had shared with Esther and said, Esther, it's good for you not to make waves. Don't make waves. Don't, don't do anything. Just try and be Persian. This man who was saying, don't make waves, is now throwing boulders into the water and causing three-foot swells. Mordecai would not bow down to Haman, which made Haman furious. It made him furious, and he set out to devise a plan to kill this man, to kill this man who would not kneel, and not just Mordecai, but he wanted to kill Mordecai and his family and his friends and anybody who thought like him. Mordecai begins to devise this plan to wipe out Mordecai's family line off the planet for good. That's how much Haman hated Mordecai and the Jews. Standing up for what you believe is not usually an easy thing to do. And often when you do it, you're going to get yourself in trouble. But just as likely, your act of courage is something that will be remembered and something that will inspire others. There's a picture I'd like to show you. I found this on a website called allthatsinteresting.com. Fascinating uh, website if you're interested in science and history and culture today. But here's this picture. 
And the picture is, it's this picture from 1936, and in the middle there, you see that circle. There's a man named August Landmesser. And August uh, Landmesser was a shipyard worker in Hamburg, Germany, and he refused to participate in this picture of saying, Heil Hitler. He refused to participate. And if you can see that, everyone's arms are running around, but if you can see that closely, his arms are folded. This photo has become popular over the years because of this profound act of nonconformity. There has, uh, there's, there's no telling how many men and women are in this crowd, right? From that wide-angle picture to this picture, you can see there are people all around him, and they're all, uh, they're all in that crowd. And you have no idea how many of those people were raising their arms from a place of fear. But the entire crowd is acting acting either out of fear or out of support, but they're acting and they're raising their arms. And we have no idea how many men and women in that crowd were acting out of fear, fully aware that failing to salute to Adolf Hitler was signaling his or her own death certificate. But August, he stood there. He stood there with his arms crossed, his, his jaw firm, and he stood there in an act of disobedience. And the reason that he did this was for love. The reason he did this was for love. August Landmesser, the, the man with his arms crossed, taking his life in his own hands, he was married to a Jewish woman. He married a Jewish woman. In 1930, August had become a card-carrying Nazi. However, in 1934, he married a woman named Irma Eckler, who was a Jewish woman, and the two of them fell deeply in love. Their engagement a year later got him expelled from the party. And their marriage application was actually denied when they applied to be married. They had a baby girl named Ingrid in 1937. They attempted to flee to Denmark at that time, but they were caught. And eventually, Irma was sent to a concentration camp, separated from her family, where she died years later. August, he was drafted into the military, where he was eventually killed. I want you to look at this slide. And I want you to see this because August likely found himself incapable of, of saluting the very man who publicly dehumanized his wife and his daughter and scores of other people like them. He wasn't just folding his arms so he could draw attention in that crowd. In fact, you really have to look hard to see him standing there doing that. He wasn't lost in a sea of people. Uh, he, he was lost in a sea of people. He wasn't trying to draw attention to himself. But his decision was to stand for what was right. And it was a courageous act that inspired countless others over the years when they see this picture to follow their convictions. So let's go back to Mordecai. Back to Mordecai. He refused to bow down to Haman. Haman wanted to kill Mordecai. He wanted to wipe out his family. And so Mordecai, he runs to Queen Esther for help. In my mind, I picture Esther you know, seeing, seeing him and saying something like that, like, like, Mordecai, I don't understand. Just a few minutes ago, you were telling me that I needed to go along. I needed to just follow the crowd. I needed to hide in Persia. Now you want me to draw attention to our Jewish heritage? You want me to approach the, the king, which nobody does. Nobody approaches the king unless you want to die. You don't just go to the king when you want to. You wait till he calls you. You don't just show up. Now, how about this, Mordecai? How about we just settle down? How about we just relax a little bit? How about we see how this thing plays out? That's kind of how I see Esther replying to her uncle. And then Mordecai replies to Esther with these words. This is from um, Esther. And Mordecai, uh, and Mordecai says this. He says, Esther, 
Uh, don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace that you will escape when all other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance for, uh, for the Jews will come from some other place, and you and re- but you and your relatives will live. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this. Have you ever wondered why you were born? Have you ever asked that question? What is my purpose on this planet? What is the purpose of being here? I'm guessing that you've asked a question like that because at this point in time, according to his publisher, Pastor Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life, has sold more than 50 million copies in over 85 languages. So I'm guessing that we've asked this question. That's a lot of people asking this question, searching for meaning. And at the end of their searching, every single person comes face to face with this idea that Mordecai is presenting to Esther. You and I were created for such a time as this. We were created to be here, to be here and now. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what you are facing. I don't know if it's uh, the challenge before you uh, is scary. I I don't know if the relationship or the job search or the health exam or the the student exam, the the school exam is, is something that you're facing. I don't know if you're tempted to stay quiet when you should really speak up. I don't know if you're tempted to cut a corner when you really shouldn't. Or just if you're tempted to fade into the fabric of the culture, as Esther was in Persia. But this is what I do know. You and I were made for such a time as this. Right now, there is some way that you and your life can point to Jesus Christ. You can point to what Jesus, uh, you can point to Jesus as an expression of what you do, what you say, and how you act. Just like August, who inspired others by his decision to stand in the face of adversity, you have the ability to inspire others around you by the decision and the decisions that you make today, the decisions to be brave. In Esther's life, Mordecai was calling upon her to be brave and to approach the king. In her story, there was literally one person in the entire world who could do what she did. It was her and her alone. She was the only person in the entire world who could stand before the king. Esther was in a position as queen to speak to the king and to make a bold request that would help her people. She was the only one who could do it. Would she draw upon her faith in God? Would she draw upon her faith and and would she find the courage to ask? The answer is yes. Yes, she would. Yes, she does. And we will see in, in the days to come how she trusts God. Next week we're going to talk about that, how she trusts God uh, with everything that's inside of her and how that plays out in this decision. But for today, know this. Esther was brave and she found the courage to approach her husband. There was a decision that she made and she acted upon it. Courage, by the way, is not the absence of fear. Courage is not the absence of fear. It is the strength It is the strength that we have to take risks even in the face of fear. Even those who experience fear 
Uh, I'm sorry, even those who experience or have courage, they experience fear. What courage does is it withstands fear. That's what courage does. It walks through the problems and the challenges and the temptations despite our fear. And the strongest source of courage in the midst of fear is faith. Faith is the strongest sense of courage, even in the midst of fear. So standing up for what you believe is not usually an easy thing to do, and usually it does get you into trouble, but God will give you the courage. He will give you the courage when you draw upon your faith and when you stand up for what's right. Temptations are always going to be there. They're always going to be there, and, and they're going to want you to run, and they're going to want you to hide and to fade into the fabric of the culture. And when that happens, take a deep breath, and remember that you are here right now. Right now, you are here. In the history of the world, God has placed you in this time and in this place with your unique gifts, with your unique talents, with your unique abilities, with your unique skills, with your unique intellect, with your unique passions and heart. All of it, God has made you to be here. He isn't surprised by what you're facing. He isn't scared by what you are facing. And he has made it so that there's a way for you to get through whatever it is that you are facing. Even if you are not so sure, God is sure. How do I know that? Because he has made you to be here and now. The world is a hard place. It is a hard place and it takes courage and it takes faith to face each and every new day. If you are like most people, you don't know that you're enough. You don't feel like you're enough. You are nervous about the future. You are uncertain about your, the impact of your decisions and how those decisions will have an impact on the world around you. But when you feel this way, when you feel this way, when you are concerned about your next steps and you feel the pressure to give in, be encouraged, my friends. Be encouraged and remember that you were made for such a time as this. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we are so grateful to you that you have created each and every one of us. And Lord, we confess, I confess, we confess that we are fearful, that we are nervous, that we are anxiety-driven, that we are worried uh, people, Lord, who don't understand what the next steps are in our lives. There's an uncertainty that is there. But God, the very fact that you have placed us here in this world tells us that you trust us to make those decisions and to be brave. So if, Lord, we can learn to trust you, we can hold on to the fact that you've made us for such a time as this. No matter what we are facing, whatever it is, Lord, help us. Help us to be brave. We pray this all today in Jesus' name.